what I'm talking about today is evangelism and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or more particularly, the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've got a couple of passages I'd like to read first, very familiar ones. Um, they'll come up on the screen behind me, I hope. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Does anyone know what manifestation means? Showing? Revealing? Yeah. It's how the Spirit shows himself, reveals himself. Let's know. For the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Then we turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. That's a quote from the Old Testament. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is common in both of those passages? There's a few things that are common, but general theme. They're given to everyone to be able to grow, yeah? Think again about the one spirit. It's about unity. And it's saying that the gifts are given primarily, primarily, firstly, (laughs) for the church. To build up the church. To encourage the church. To make us strong in Jesus. And to bring us together in unity. So the purpose of the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are primarily for the church to build us up. And then we reach out, okay? Or we do the same both the time. You know, you know, God's into on-the-job training. So we learn a bit, we do a bit. Learn a bit, do a bit, learn a bit. Now, the gifts of the Holy Spirit... When you read the Greek, as you do, particularly the passage where in Corinthians where we're talking about to one is given this and the other is given that and the other is given this. In Greek, you can say more than two things on the one hand, but on the other hand. So in Greek, you can say on the one hand, 
and on the one hand, and on the one hand, and then on the one hand, and on the one hand. Yeah. It's a bit like Milton Jones's grandfathers, okay? <laughs> For those who know Milton Jones, he often tells jokes about his grandfather and he has multiple grandfathers. Anyway, different one. Re watch it on in the internet. So what he's, he's basically saying is that these are examples. There are far wider gifts than the examples he's given. You know, I think we've said before, certainly in small group, that um, you know, things like dreams are given from God. What category are they in? Are they visions? Are they prophetic? When does a prophecy become a word of knowledge? And there's a kind of whole spectrum. And they are there for each and every one of us. Now, there are some people in the second passage who, for some reason, the Lord has said, well, you know, maybe you're a good natural salesman, so maybe you'd be a great evangelist. And so they take to certain aspects of the way in which the Holy Spirit works better than others. doesn't mean they're better than others. It means that the Lord has gifted them in that particular way. And as we know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, the Lord gives gifts how he wishes, it says there, how he wants to, and in the proportions that he wants to. So no one can boast. And these, again, are to bring us together, to bring us into unity, to all feed into the common good. Not everyone is an evangelist. Does anybody know what evangelist means? Again, it comes from Greek, but it's kind of been messed about by French and Latin and stuff like that. Messenger. Small apostle is more like messenger. It actually means bringer of good news. Same sort of thing, um, but it's bringer of good news. The evangelist. So the evangelist is just a bringer of good news. It's a role like any other role in the church. It's one that sometimes people are good at. Other people are good at organizing things. The gift of administration. Maybe they've got the gift of administration. Maybe they're just good at organizing things. Who cares? Well, we do actually, because if you've got the gift of administration, that's generally speaking, you don't tend to over-organize things and kill the Holy Spirit moving. But there's lots of different definitions. Don't bother yourself too much about that. The Lord gives us and joins us together in unity so that we all need one another. And he gives us, each and every one of us, different things to do. And we can all participate and we can all use all of these manifestations of the gifts. Not that we have to think, oh, God, which one am I going to use today? Oh, I don't know. Was that dream dressed the cheese last night or was it from you? Lord, oh, I need the gift of discernment. Tell me. And the wisdom. Oh, oh I'm confused. And the dream's about healing. Oh, you want me to heal someone, Lord? You know, we can get ourselves all messed up. And that's because there's pressure on us sometimes to evangelize. There should be no pressure on us to evangelize because it should just ooze out of us. So what are we to do? Well, actually, as Christians, we're meant to follow the Lord, love the Lord, love one another, and act naturally because we have a new nature. And our acting naturally will involve a spiritual dimension <coughs> that we didn't have before. It will involve us utilizing those gifts and starting to recognize those as we become more mature as Christians. We're saying, yeah, you know, every time that happens, I get this 
feeling or this uncomfortableness in my soul about something. Or, and I just feel that every time that happens, that's, that's maybe something that's not of the Lord. You know? That's what happens to me in terms of discerning what's of the flesh and what's of the spirit. I remember I come more and more to rely upon that aspect of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which is sometimes called discernment of spirits. Now, some people make a big thing of it, or even a career, by discerning the spirit of this and the spirit of that, you know, and sort of getting people by the head, spirit of get out, you know, whatever. That's not what it's about. It's cutting that fine line where the word of God discerns, is this of the Lord or is it not? And sometimes it's just, I just don't feel comfortable about that. And that's how it comes out. You know, Jesus only named two spirits when he cast so many evil spirits out of people. And on both occasions, he was told what that spirit was. The rest of the time, he just said, you unclean, filthy spirit, get out. Once, it told him, ah, we're a mob in here. So he said, get out, mob, legion, crowd, all of you. And the other one was the man who said his son was deaf and dumb. Spirit cast him into the fire. And Jesus said, deaf and dumb spirit, get out. Never named them. Yet you see people with so-called ministries who are, well, let's not make judgments. Yes, we will. <laughs> Wrong. So, what I'm saying is, we need the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We need to walk with the Lord. And that's how we use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because those gifts are part of us. Those, that manifestation of the Holy Spirit is within us. And so, we start to learn to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So we walk out of the door and we're going about our daily business and the Lord says, go to that different shop on your way in to get a coffee. And uh, then we're in there and we end up with a conversation. We end up with talking to the barista. We end up talking to, I don't know, somebody. We end up not being involved in a motor accident because he just saved us. Who knows? All of those things have happened to me. Not usually baristas. But you know what I mean? You get guided by the Lord. We listen to him. We start to listen to him in our hearts. And it's not something that necessarily we're always conscious of, though sometimes we are. Sometimes the Lord says, hey, hang on, stop. There's a, there's a, a sudden thing. You know, again, like Paul, Paul was led on a missionary journeys and he went from one place to the other. And he quite followed a natural course, a road that was, most people went on. And then he was going to go on the next one, and the Lord said, no, hang on, I need you to go there. So he knew where to go, he knew where to be. Example here. So we're looking at John 4, and verse 7. Slightly longer passage, and uh, this is one that's in the questions if you, when you go to small group. It'd be worth, um, worth looking at this in a little bit more depth. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, and particularly Samaritan women, or any women. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What, have you just, what you've just said is quite true. And that must have given her a bit of a shock. Don't you think? Must have given her a bit of a shock. Now, first of all, Jesus, as you'd expect, <coughs> Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, is in the right place at the right time. He could have gone down and said, okay, guys, I'll come down and we'll go and buy some food. Could do with a packet of crisps. And off they went down to the co-op. And he would have missed the woman. Or he could have just said, uh, nah, a bit tired, I'll have a lion today. But no, he went, sat by a well, said, I'll meet you back here, guys. I think the Lord wants me here. Did he know the woman was going to come out? Don't know. Anyway, this woman comes out. And he speaks to her. Not what you do, even today in a lot of Middle East societies in particular, or Far Eastern societies, men talking to women is verboten. No, 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 don't do that, particularly if that woman is not a relative or married to you. And the woman actually spoke back. Uh, first of all, she said, we don't know how she said it. They said, you're not supposed to be talking to me. What's your game? You know? Because sometimes people suspect your motives if you're talking to them. We just started a conversation. So give me some water. You get some water for me. I haven't got anywhere to draw any water with. So we get into a conversation. And then he starts talking to her. And at some point, he had the knowledge. Maybe he had it already. So he's got a word of knowledge there about her. And that word of knowledge is going to break up, break into her life. But first of all, he's witnessing to her. He's saying, I can give you water. Just using an everyday example, I can give you water. And you won't need to drink again. I'll give you the water of life. Wow, she says. So he obviously touched something in that woman who had had five husbands, was now living with a fella. She obviously had a need. She was looking for something in her life. And Jesus knew. He said the right thing. Again, did he know what he was saying at the time? Probably did, but maybe he didn't. You know, he was working under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he gets a word of knowledge when she says that, I would guess. But he doesn't say it straight away. He doesn't say, yes, I know you've been living with um, this bloke and you've got five husbands. What's wrong with your woman? You know? He says, go and call your husband and come back. I think at that point he probably did know. And she says, I, don't, I haven't got a husband. And then he drops a bombshell. Actually, I know. The Lord told me. And sometimes we have a piece of knowledge. This happened quite frequently, not all the time, but quite frequently 
when I've been counseling people in the past, when I've had a, a formal counseling, and something comes into your head, and it's nothing they've said, and you tend to then steer the conversation in a particular way, and stuff comes out, and you say, not always you don't say things, because you also need wisdom from the Lord. Do I speak this, or just keep this as knowledge that you want me to have? You know? Because speaking it might just destroy what the Lord's saying. So we need wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Well, he'll give us that. He'll give us that. And that's how we work naturally, you know? He can, he can break things open sometimes with the timely word that's given from the Lord. I don't actually feel overcomfortable with people, you know, telling people there, you know, I'll give you a 10, you know, what is it, your 16-figure credit card number, and, you know, oh, I didn't know, how did he find that out? You know, it must be the Lord. There may be a purpose to it, I don't know, but sometimes it just seems like showing off. Oh, fakery. Jesus in the right place. He also recognized the need. He recognized the need. His heart went out to her. It often says how Jesus loved people, and that's what motivated him. And he just, and that's, that's, our, that's our primary motive. We love people. We want them to know the Lord. But we want to love them. We want to take away their pain. We want to give it to the Lord. Just a quick one here. Acts 14, verse 8. <clears throat> in Lystra, there, were, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw that Paul had do- what Paul had done, they shouted in the Le- Leonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, Zeus, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the gate of the city because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so the story goes on. Two points there. First of all, Paul, again, had a word of knowledge. And this time, the Lord said, I'm going to do something powerful. And sometimes we have to step out and say, I'm going to pray for healing. Doesn't always happen. Has to be done sensitively. I don't know if he did. He got into a, you know, got him up on the stage and said, you know, pray, pray. The man goes over. Maybe it was that way. Or maybe he just went and sent the guy down there and said, What's wrong with you? Hey, I'll be healed. Don't know. But once people knew, it drew a crowd straight away. Drew a crowd. And that's sometimes the way the Lord works. Sometimes. You see a miracle, a manifestation of something, and it brings a crowd, and Jesus worked like that as well. Sometimes it's quiet. You go to somebody afterwards and say, you know, your faith's made you whole. Do something quite hidden himself away. Other times, as the Spirit led, it was more public. We need courage to do that sometimes. I would say they're less often than the day-to-day stuff. And in some ways, they're easier to do, but not always appropriate in the society or the context in which we, we live. But sometimes, 
it's the right thing to do. And secondly, which is a hard one sometimes, we go and see something happen or do something and pray or loads of people get saved or healed or, or whatever. It is quite easy to take the credit and not give the glory to the Lord. And of course, straight away, they want, oh, it's these, these are gods, these guys are gods. And it's easy to elevate people to being a god status in our lives and saying, wow, that guy, a sheep, you know, I could follow him everywhere. And he's a healer. I remember once somebody saying about a particular evangelist, oh, so-and-so saved me. Something hadn't gone right in there, you know. It's about the Lord. We should always defer, always say, Lord, it's you. And the other thing is, if we get in that position, we will fall. We will fall. You know? So we shouldn't be proud about what we do. We should serve. We should serve quietly. Let the Lord see what we do in the quietness of the closet, the audience of one, all of that kind of stuff. And when we get to heaven, you say, well done, good and faithful servant, because he sees everything. You know? but not here. We all want to be fulfilled. That's a different thing. We all want to have a role, and we all have got a role. We've got a place in Jesus, in the church, with one another. We all need one another. But there's no superstars. There's only one, and that's Jesus. Last scripture now, short one. Mark chapter 13 and verse 9. Encouraging verses here. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils. Oh, imagine that. Town council, and flogged in the town hall, in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. What a relief! Just imagine, you tell your story. We were talking about telling your story last week. You told your story in groups. We talked about it in small group. If you weren't there, shame on you. No, no shame. Should have been there. If you can get to small group, get there. If you don't like small group, go to another one. God gives us whatever we need at the time. He gives us grace. He gives us the words to speak. He'll give us the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that we require. We've just got to be in the right place at the right time. And even if we're not in the right place at the right time, he can get us there. Oh, Lord, I'm late. Don't worry. You can know there. I'll get you there. Lord, it's all over. I'll speak anyway. Okay, I'll speak. Blah, 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 blah. Jesus loves you. Cleaner. I want to give my life to Jesus. I've heard that story twice, actually. Two separate ones. There's someone preached in an empty room. Because they missed. And one, one they missed it, and the other one nobody turned up. But in both cases, people got saved. I think I've told you the one before. I was, I was there when this happened. Somebody got up on stage one night and said, I've got a word from the Lord. And um, they said, Broccoli. And sat down. <laughs> Following night, man gets up. He said, I came to you. I wasn't a Christian. I said, God, if you're real, say something. 
In fact, say broccoli. <laughs> said five minutes later, a man got up and said broccoli. God, I said, I need to give me my life. I was there. I know that happened. Yeah. So, sometimes it's the silliest things. Now, I never, I, you probably know me, I don't particularly like going and hero worshipping people. Some people I really didn't like, and people are, and anyway, there was this guy, and he actually came from a place in about two miles from where I lived. Spoke with a similar accent. Um, he was down somewhere like Winchester Way, I think it's a church, something like that. And he was speaking at a Bible week, and I went along. And I was sitting there, and the Lord said to me, go and speak to him at the end of the meeting. Oh, Lord. And I, I thought, oh, is this me or just what? I said, well, my natural inclination is to kind of get out as soon as possible. And, you know. So I waited for about, seriously, I waited for the best part of two hours after this meeting. And somehow I missed him and he left and I didn't see him. So we were there for three days, second night, and there. And I'm waiting and waiting. Again, it's a big crowd, wanting prayer. He's insisting on praying for everybody. And I'm sitting there because I don't want to be prayed for. I just want to speak to the guy, you know. So um, I waited. And it was again about the same length of time, approaching two hours. And he's about to walk away and everybody's gone. I'm still sitting there. And I got up and said, excuse me. I said, um, I really felt, I don't know what to say, actually. Yeah, but I thought, well, you tell me to Lord, I'll, I'll be obedient. So I got up and I said, um, excuse me, sorry, I know you're rushing off, but can I just say, um, I felt the Lord tell me to come and say hi to you. And he says to me, hi, and walked off. <laughs> now, I was going to, I was all spiel prepared about, you know, uh, you were born about two miles from where I was, and you know, it's great, blah, 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 doing the old scouser thing, which I hate doing that anyway. Uh, I hate professional scouser. Uh. But you know what? It was interesting because I've always had this embarrassment. There's a difference between me and Han. Han has no embarrassment whatsoever. She will go and speak to people and things, and I'm going, ooh. You know, I've always had that, and it kind of comes from the family, really. You know, we, we kind of used to use embarrassment or, you know, we'd go and not say anything to him. And I honestly feel, I, I, I used to feel that. And, of course, that was why I was, I was waiting there to speak to this guy and I was cringing all the time thinking, oh, my God, I'll do this. And, you know, I can honestly say from that point on, that was probably about 15 years ago, maybe longer, I don't know. From that point on, I have not had any embarrassment in getting up in front of people, speaking, whatever, like that. You'd probably gather that. <laughs> um, if I make a mess of it, I made a mess of it, you know. If I got it wrong, or everyone says, oh, Steve, come, you know, what are you like talking about, mate? Which you may well say after this one. Um, it's not that I don't care, but I don't care. You know, I care very much that the word of the Lord comes across, obviously, but I don't care about how I look. In that context, there are other contexts where I do care in some ways because, you know, you don't want to look weird in front of people when you're trying to tell them, hey, Jesus has made me really happy and great and, and a bit weird. But I really don't care. And it was like the Lord <coughs> wanted me to do that because he was doing something. It didn't matter who it was, actually. 
It was just a hook to catch me. <laughs> yeah? But he just showed me of it. As before I was ever one of the leaders here, before I ever did anything in that respect. You know, speaking things at meetings and whatever, but hey, you know. And he just did that in me and <coughs> healed that, if you like, because he had things for me to do in that respect. He can do that to you. Listen to his promptings. Sometimes it's for you, sometimes it's for them. Sometimes we have no idea. But if the Lord says do it, do it. Spurgeon, in his autobiography, Spurgeon was a great preacher, Baptist, London, um, wrote his uh, couple of autobiographies and loads and loads of books. If you ever read them, get someone to translate in modern language because, honestly, it's really hard to get through, but it's worth reading, reading some passages. And this one made me really think of Milton Jones, actually, when, when I read it. He said this, My aged grandfather once preached a sermon which, had not, which I have not yet forgotten. He was preaching from the text, The God of All Grace, and he somewhat, inter he somewhat interested the assembly. Uh, you can see the language kind of... Uh, uh, after describing the different kinds of grace that God gave by saying at the end of each period, but there is one kind of grace you do not want. And after each part of his theme, there came li the like sentence, but there is one kind of grace you do not want. And he wound up by saying, you don't want dying grace in living moments, but you shall have dying grace when you need it. When you are in the condition to require it, you shall have grace enough if you put your trust in Christ. In a party of friends, we were discussing the question whether, if, great party, whether if the days of martyrdom should come, we were prepared to be burned. I said, I must frankly tell you that speaking as I feel today, I am not prepared to be burned. But I do believe that if I were at, if I were at a stake, I, one I was tied to, not sitting there, at Smithfield, you can understand, because you might think the meat market, anyway, and, and knew that I was to be burned there at one o'clock, I should have grace enough to be burned there when one o'clock came. Okay, like I say, it's a bit of a slow read, but the whole point of it is, God gives us the grace when we need it. And if we haven't got it, we don't need it, right? It gives us the grace for the moment. We can step out in faith knowing that as I step off that cliff, he will catch. Well, thank you, Lord. You know, he will catch us. So, to summarize, be your born-again self. Get used to exercising the gifts of the Spirit in your day-to-day -day life. Naturally, not in a weird or off-putting way. Take the opportunity when it arises to speak to people. They will ask you, most of the witnessing you do will be people will ask you. Some of them might be trying to bait you, but just give them an answer. Tell them what happened to you. Tell them what happened to you, if nothing else. Like Paul talking to King Agrippa. And don't worry about what you have to say. The Holy Spirit will, will give you the words. Like the blind man. Um, from the questions last week, the blind man. And in the end, the Pharisees with all their clever answers, he just turned around and said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But all I know is I was blind, but now I can see. 
If that's all we've got to say, that's a wonderful thing to say. Yeah? Don't fret about it. Be naturally supernatural. Amen.